Hi, I'm Catherine. And I'm Gail. And we are delighted to welcome Catherine Estee to our show this afternoon. Dr. Catherine Estee is a social psychologist, a best-selling author, and an expert on aging well and finding purpose. She's focused on creating a new understanding of possibilities for living into old age. Her website, CatherineSD.com, is a wealth of information. And at 87, Catherine now lives in a retirement community on the East Coast. As Catherine turned 80, her age began to affect her. And so she interviewed 128 people in their 80s, along with 26 of their adult children. Key findings from her conversations emphasize that people in their 80s are flourishing and are unexpectedly happy. So, Catherine, welcome to Women Over 70, Aging Reimagined. You've lived your whole life, in your own words, as a pilgrim. And tell us what that means and a little bit about your early life. You have four sons and a supportive husband, had a supportive husband. And, and how did all of that shape your interests and lead you to become the change agent you are? Okay, well, first, I just want to say I'm absolutely thrilled to be on this show, this uh, Women Over 70. It's uh, so that that's to start off. But uh, I have been a pilgrim and a seeker, I think, all my life. I've always uh, kind of seen that there things could be better. And sometimes that got me into a little trouble. It still does. But I always uh, wanted the world to be different, uh, the teacher to be nicer, the, and uh, I had learned over my long, long life, uh, I kind of uh, honed my skills so that I could actually be an effective change agent. Um, and the pilgrim part is that uh, I've really, in my life, I've had the luck, the opportunity the, uh, of having many uh, stages in my life. I've, you know, I, unlike some people who settle in, I, uh, have a restless quality to me. I started out, you know, uh, as a, a teacher and then I had stayed home for nine years taking care of my kids, my four boys. That was probably the hardest stretch because I, it was, while I, I'm so glad I did it, it was, uh, makes me very happy. And, but it was just, I, I had so much energy that I was just, uh, uh, bursting to sort of get going on a career. And then I started with a social worker and uh, went to work for 10 years in a community mental health center and was a psychotherapist and a manager. And I was truly happy at those, at those 10 years. I felt I was right where I should be. It was a blue collar community. And I just, uh, and that's where I learned how to be in the workplace and a lot more about who I was. Uh, and after that, you know, I, uh, decided to go back to school. And then I uh, worked in a consulting firm uh, as a social psychologist, which unlike being a psychotherapist, where you're mostly talking about the individual person, as a social psychologist, I was interested in making organizations better. Uh, and I soon found out how hard that is. It's uh, easier when you're working with a single person. But uh, I uh, worked in a consulting firm those three years, and then two other women and myself started a firm that was an organizational consulting firm helping organizations be more effective but primarily we were 
looking at diversity in the world, trying to get more women, and this was in the 70s, more women and more uh, people of color in the workplace. And uh, that, so I really, I stayed in, in that, uh, my company was, which was called Ibis Consulting Group, still goes on, uh, but I left when I was about in the early 70s. But um, it, I always kept my uh, license to be a therapist. And I figured that the last stage here, having done the organizational thing, and that what was great about the organizational phase in, at IBIS was I actually had clients all over the United States, you know, universities, big businesses, Fortune 500, and then had the real just luck and pleasure to work uh, for UNICEF and some UN agencies. And that took me to Bangladesh, the third world, uh, Ethiopia, Jordan, uh, all kinds of places that I had never been. This was my 50s then when I was doing that. My husband uh, was supportive and I'd go off for two weeks to run uh, uh, strategic planning conferences and he was all for it. So then I, well, but when I got to be 70, I thought, well, I'll, I'll have a quieter career. So I picked up my psychotherapy license and uh, had bought, uh, got an office and sat, <clears throat> and I've been doing that. I actually just retired from my psychotherapy yeah. practice this, no <laughs> this November 12th. When, oh when my I, goodness, really? <laughs> so... I, I loved work, and I think that's one of the things I found. The pleasure of work for me has been great. So that uh, that so that sort of gives you the pilgrimage. I was a wanderer. I was a, a seeker, and I also you know a pilgrimage has a sense that there's some holy grail somewhere that you're going to get to. And I think for me, it's seeing a world that is better to women, uh, better to people of color, better to all, and now uh, better to older people. Mm -hmm. Wow. Yeah. So, so life. Wow. That was quite a life you had. And, uh, and, and you made quite a difference in the people's lives that you worked with and the organizations that you worked with. And so uh, I understand that in 2015, your husband, John passed away. He and, did. Yeah. And, and so in what ways did that affect you? Now you were already in your 80s. Is that right? Right. I was just turning 80 and I think I was 80, uh, just 80. Mm -hmm. And uh, uh, it was uh, it was a turning point. It was, a you know, a, a big, huge, major event psychologically, practically, you know, and all of my psychological know-how didn't help me skate through it. I mean, I was uh, somehow taken back. Uh, it was just a, a, a really a tsunami of uh, an experience. Um, so I uh, was really, uh, it felt, I felt gray that the whole, you know, just like that there was this gray wave. Um, but I did, um, you know, I was in a retirement community. And one of the things about a community like that is that there is a culture of kindness. So people were very kind. And my sons rallied around. Although uh, I have come to see, and I kid them, that uh, the people here that have one daughter uh, you often get daily attention from the daughter. And so I kind of say that four sons are about equal to one daughter. 
in terms of in terms of communication. But they, my four sons have been fabulous. And um, but what really helped me get through was uh, I was in a little tiny support group of three people, and the three of us were all losing our spouses. And so we, and then we went right through the whole period of losing them. It was all, they were all kind of in that year and we would meet uh, and cry and uh, just grieve. And I think what I learned was how to grieve. And that group where we sat together and cried, allowed ourselves to, was just wonderful. And after months and months of months of crying, then one day one of us said, you know, we could, we could really do something fun. And we, all, we were all shocked. So this was a, uh, a was a one woman and one man. And the, so the three of us made an odd little party and went to Puerto Rico for a week. And, <laughs> and we could see in our society that was not a usual thing. They kept, first of all, everybody kept giving uh, Peter the, the, you know, the, the bills, the, even though Carol, the other person was the one that was doing the arrangements. And, um, but, and they people kept trying to figure out which of us uh, went with Peter. And um, so anyway, it was, um, so that was when I did find out that, you know, getting help for yourself really works. Right. I, I'm and, curious, how, how long, uh, how long before this had you moved to the retirement home, retirement uh, facility? I think it was about uh, three or four years, three, three years, maybe. And so my husband had had a good, he had come, we'd come because he was uh, failing. He had uh, kidney problems. And so, and, uh, but these were new people to me, but. Sure. That, that was a great thing to do, to plan it that way. So both of us are very intrigued. Uh, both Catherine and I are very intrigued about your book, your latest book, uh, 80 somethings. There it is, a practical guide to letting go, aging well, and finding unexpected happiness. So tell us about that process. And I know you interviewed a lot of people. Is that correct? Yeah. And the way it got started, uh, uh, Gail, is I was uh, that uh, summer, I was 80. My, my husband had died. I was up at my summer place in the Adirondacks. And, um, you know, I was still in a major funk. I was uh, the gray, still the grayness, the tsunami of sadness. But uh I was going through activities and the kids said, let's go. There were a bunch of grandkids, a bunch of kids. Uh, my, my, I think three of my sons were there. We, they said, let's, this is a cat mountain day. We're going to take this hike. So we had, I'd done that for 40 years and it was a small mountain, really a, a very small mountain. People in California would laugh to call it a mountain, but we went and, uh, went and I started out and it had rained and I slipped and I kind of scraped my knee and it bled and then I fell again. And when we got to the base of the really steep part where it's a bit of a scramble, you do have to kind of hold on with and on, be on all fours. I just had this sinking feeling that for the first time in my life, I actually couldn't power through. And my, you know, my grandkids are always talking about how I was so strong. I could do push-ups. I thought of myself maybe that I could, and I usually sort of felt, well, I can just power through and I couldn't. So I sat down on a stump and I realized, you know, I wasn't going to be able to just keep doing everything. I was getting old. And I kind of said to myself, I, it suddenly came to me I, with this sort of powerful aha. 
that I couldn't go on doing everything I'd done before. And I had to do something different. And, um, but I sat on that stump and everybody else went up on the mountain, had lunch. And one of my sons sat with me and we just, I couldn't move. I was like paralyzed at the moment, but after about an hour, um, gradually I kind of realized what was happening. And I realized that uh, I had something to learn. And I kind of thought I can get through this and I can adapt and I don't have to be super, uh, super Catherine, uh, super mom, super grandma. And uh, so that was the beginning. And I thought, and so I said, well, I can, I got to find out somebody must know how to get through this. There must be some answers. And so I thought, well, I'll interview people. And I went to the, I also went to the uh, internet and interviewed on aging. I found out, you know, how many people are in the 80s. I realized I was looking for a book on 80s and the books were all being old or, you know, uh, how to live well, but they were 65 to 100. And it, they didn't, nobody had looked at that decade and sort of held a microscope up to uh, kind of seeing what, taking it apart. So I got more and more interested um, in, thinking about what is the 80 the eighties experience, what is it like and how is it different and uh, what can I make of it? And so I started and the people I met uh, what, what were just amazing uh, that I was looking for people that were flourishing, uh, but I found them, you know, and, I, and uh, so I, and I went ahead and started out interviewing people that I didn't know in my retirement community. And then I went to the local people around and uh, in the different council on agings. And then I, for the next two years, whenever I traveled to visit a person or uh, I would interview people there, people in their 80s, I was very clear. I didn't want anyone 91 or 79. I, I wanted just the 80 to explore the 80 experience. And um, so I went to California and Ohio and Pennsylvania. And then I started doing some when uh, I got recommendations from everybody I interviewed and I was wanting to get more people that I was, of course, when I got people that were flourishing, I, I didn't go for people that were um, in poverty. I thought, well, that's another book to have uh, old age and poverty, I thought. And it wasn't a national sample, of course, because I was 128 is not nearly big enough to get all the ethnicities and all the different. But I wanted um, to get, uh, you know, men and women, uh, economically well off and some that were in nursing homes and not doing so well. And I was able to do that. And what I found out um, was I learned that my picture of old age was completely out of date. It was, mm -hmm. I needed to do a complete revision. Wow. So, so in what ways did you find that it was out of date? What, how, you know, how did you begin to think about it differently? Well, I first realized that my image of it had come from my own grandparents, you know, and back when I, and my childhood was mostly in the 40s. And back then, most people died at about 65, you know, so that, but, and that my grandparents weren't thriving or flourishing. My one grandfather had a stroke and was in bed. Then um, he did die at 65. My other grandfather had died. He was an older, he also died at 65, but I'd never met him. Uh, my grandmother then, who was living, I had two grandmothers living, but the one broke her hip and she also became bedridden. 
And uh, then one grandmother was uh, was able to do things. She had a pretty good life uh, and could uh, work on her rose garden and go to Florida in the winter to see her sister. And but but there was a pretty grim picture I had of what I could look forward to as being old. It was kind of decline and and uh, illness and. It kind of made me dread, you know, I think it was part of my funk it was I was dreading being old and looking thinking, oh, my goodness, you know. So I learned, first of all, that so many things had happened. Uh, for example, just modern medicine means that we're living longer. And now there are uh, uh, more than 11 million people in um, uh, in their 80s. Uh, in, and it's growing every year exponentially. Uh, we're growing faster than any other decade uh, than uh, in the country. So uh, I learned that we about I thought about and began to see what's changed things is like medicine. Modern medicine uh, is completely different that we, you know, people with hips get well and then they walk and that we have mm -hmm. have you know new shoulders and new knees and new hips and new uh cataracts from new eyes and and uh, it's just there's such possibilities that 80s no longer or six, even after 65 it's no longer a picture of decline uh and necessarily now there are people that have dementia there are people that do have sicknesses but there are many millions of people that are having active you know uh care you know pain-free lives so the pick that's a start on how the picture changed for me i thought i gotta so there's much has changed yeah yeah so so did you know that you were going to write a book when you started interviewing these people i didn't i thought i wanted to learn more i was really looking for answers for myself but mm -hmm. as i started it and this is a really good question because as i started i began to change i started to pick up you know from my gray moods I, it was like uh, getting water on a wilted flower i was suddenly <laughs> feeling good and uh, right. and um, so and as i did it i realized well i've got a new purpose it was like i suddenly came to and uh as i interviewed i thought well there is no book things have been written and i had written some earlier books that uh, and but i thought i can do this and i kept having the nightmare that somebody really had written the book and it was going to emerge to I'd, you know go every sunday to the paper and see, see if it come out but it, it didn't and so i was lucky to get a publisher and um and uh, it worked out to be a book, but I had no idea that I would. Uh, I, I well, I knew I was a writer. You know, I had all every, but I had written. This was my fourth book. I had written like one book every fifteen years. It wasn't like I churned them out. Uh, you know, I read about the woman that had written four hundred books. Have you heard about her? <laughs> but Catherine, you wrote this in a very uh, story story like approach. I mean, you tell really rich detailed stories of your many of your uh, interviewees and is that a style that you your other books or is this a different style for you now uh, I think it's more uh, a, a different story. I mean, the other books, uh, I did write a history of the, or a popular history of gypsies and I did some of that and I think, I think it came from my psychotherapy work where, you know, every client is a story that, mm -hmm. that I see it that way. And, um, but I, 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 
uh, and, and I've been in a writing group that helped me write the book uh, and uh, they've been just uh, fabulous uh, going so that everything that I wrote, they, they would say, well, that doesn't make sense or I can't understand that. or And so we sort of vet uh, and they, they say this isn't clear. So I got, that's how the kind of help I got. Um, and we've been together for nine years. This uh, mm -hmm. writing and, and so, oh, Catherine, did you have a question? Well, I just, I was so interested in what you found out. And one of your surprises, as you said, was that people are much happier than you had anticipated. And you talk about why is that? And part of that, you said, was because they're, uh, they have more, if they have, if they're involved in things, they have responsibility for something. Uh, they have a purpose. And um Exactly right, Catherine. That the the biggest finding when I you know what I learned uh, was that they all needed to catch up on this new vision. But that the surprise, and that's why in the title of the book it says "unexpected happiness." Nobody expects to be happy in their eighties, and I found even the people in quite dismal settings like nursing homes, uh, most of them. There were, now there were some that were grumpy and unhappy, uh, but that and they, they're in the book too. But because I didn't want it. To yeah, Pollyanna-ish. It is. It isn't, and it isn't fair. And there are people that have many more health problems than I had had. And you know, it's, but the happiness is really striking. Um, that I asked every single person I interviewed. You know, how happy are you on a scale of one to ten? And they were all eights and nines, uh, with and tens. You know, except for maybe less than fewer than ten percent would be a, a four or a five or a three or anything like and, that. And what are what are some what are elements of that of that happiness? Well, the happiness. I think it's psychological. Again, of course, I'm a psychologist, but I think it's people see they begin to be grateful for what just being alive uh that you know you see especially when you're 80 uh, you know half of the people are gone and so you realize that your friends have started to die you're often like in my support group all three of us had spouses that died and um so you real begin to take it you know as they say what it compared to the alternative you know you and you begin to uh, you, also but it, it turns out that the science tells us that the aging brain is different from uh, what we would have expected. We Our stereotypes are still that people are grumpy, rigid, and especially things like an old dog can't, don't, can't, don't teach an old dog any tricks. They can't learn them. And I, so I think all the present day myths uh, get tossed out. So I think it's because the realities are our brain, uh, the our brain is much softer on us as we age. People are not so anxious, not so depressed. Their mental health, is, and this is a huge point that people don't know, that the mental health of people, older people, is better than other generations. And um, as well as the happiness is better, there's this thing called the, I don't know if you've heard of it, the U-curve, which is uh, for done by scientists and so on that people are you know are happy as in youth but by the time they get to be 50 it's it's kind of bottoms out and i think mm -hmm. it's people are too busy they don't have any too much work too and no time and they got the sandwich generation people their parents dying and their kids so but the you then every generation now uh 60s are happier than 50s so and this is proved over and over again. Uh, 70s are happier than 60s. 
So if any of your people think they're not happy or just, you know, they see if test it with them. And then just to, to finish that, and then of 80s, of course, they're happier than um, the 70s. So, so this U-curve, you go up in your happiness. And so it means that in actuality, if we could get the word out, which it isn't out, that people can look forward to be unexpectedly happy. Uh, it's really important, I think. Yes, this is one of the reasons we're doing our project, Women Over 70, Aging Reimagined. Yeah, exactly. And I have a question, though. The, the, um, the, the people that you interviewed, uh, did they all come from different living situations? Yes. Were circumstances different? Yeah, a lot of them were. I mean, I did people in, uh, uh, a lot of them lived in their own home. Uh, a lot of them uh, lived in uh, retirement communities. Probably t it was a little oversampled with retirement communities because I started that way. But most of them, uh, then there were people in nursing homes. And uh, and I interviewed people that with bad health, I, you know, and there's a chapter in the book on dementia. And I did inter interview people with uh, the moderate stages. And so I tried to get a, a range of people and I worked hard on getting people in the lower economic uh, uh, ranks too, because I, you know, I. It is easier if you have money. It's easier you get better health and so on. It's um, certainly easier. And so I worked hard to get a good sampling of differences. But of course, it isn't pure. I'm interested in your uh, upside down. What you talked about upside down parenting, and I, I think that could be a whole book in, in itself. And um, so, what do you have to? What can you share with us about that phenomenon? Well, I found, yes, and I think it's very important. And it was certainly uh, this phenomena is of parents at some point take over and become the authorities. And uh, they, you know, and it plays out in the 80s, almost, uh, you know, the 80s are a time of transition. And it certainly played out among the 80 year olds in terms of the pandemic, because very much I found that the people in their 50s and the 60s, the parents, uh, I mean, the, the, the adult children, uh, people in their 80s, were trying to be the controlling person often were very very bossy and would tell their 80 year olds that they could not go out to a and, and so there was tension and conflict and i and there was again a research on this and it turned out that the 80s generation is more uh, less anxious about the you know and of course we're death is surrounding us i mean as i wrote uh my death is like our, our neighbor but so we took it so we, and you can still see that many of us were able to not be so highly anxious but it is it happens in the 70s for some people in the 80s there's issues like when mom should stop driving and the kids are often saying you know you shouldn't drive mom you've had three uh, you know uh, fender benders or and then you get tension and then, then the people my age don't want to be bossed around don't want to be uh, give up driving so this phenomena of upside down parenting is, I think, uh, one of the things that uh, is not really thought about. And it's so there's people that are very gracious and kids um, about t helping people think it through. I mean, the kind of wiser people say, well, you just keep asking like, uh, well, dad, do you think it's time? Have you thought about getting uh, giving up? You know, rather than telling them that they have to do it. But it something that has to be navigated for different people at different times. But it, 
Um, and at some point in the last stage of aging and the very, when people are either sick or kind of close to um, dying, they, they give over completely to their kids. And, uh, you know, and even by 80, uh, many people, uh, most people are, are going to the doctors with a child if they're around, you know, they, and before that in the seventies, maybe they aren't. Uh, so there are some things you need to, uh, it helps to know about and to, uh, then you can kind of manage it better, I think. Well, when you talk about uh, a whole new vision for old age, right? And that's larger than elder care, geriatrics. What do you mean by that? Yeah, this is my new mission, uh, to really get out that we need to reorganize uh, society, that it's was set up, uh, most of our institutions, most of our of the way things, towns are built, houses are built, the organizations run, they assume that 65 is the shutoff. And with the, you know people now living up to 40 more years, that just isn't accurate. And just to give you a couple of examples of how the world is not built for, to meet the needs of older people. But when you are 80 though, there's a bunch of people in their 80s that, that uh, the the world isn't the the architecture it doesn't fit like the mostly the toilets are down like for kindergarten level and some people and the chairs even in my retirement community the, most of the chairs in the lobby outside our dining room it, uh, my new boyfriend uh, who turns out to be Peter uh, from my support group <laughs> <laughs> so we had to sneak that in <laughs> congratulations. <laughs> So uh, that he he's on a walker, so he can't. He has to sit on the arms of the sofas because he can't. They can't, he can't get in them. And, and you'd think, and of course, and this is a retirement community that is trying to meet the needs of people. But so I think that, and we tell people to get off center stage. You know, when there's sixty five, when they there's. I do think, and it's that the older generations of seventies and eighties, they have so much to offer and that we haven't made uh, avenues. But the re total revisioning is, you know, I was saying that uh, the people in their 50s are so too busy, you know, that they 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 just are pressed for time, you know, just don't have, so that what we've done, we really, there's the new thinking about old age and is to call main that there are three different times in life. There's childhood, adulthood, and elderhood. And we've kind of got, not got it organized right in terms of learning, work, and leisure. We think of your learning goes in as, as when you're a child, your work goes when you're adult, and your leisure comes when you're over 65. And that's missing the boat for everybody. The children do well with a little more work put in. The uh, uh, adults do better with a little less work. And you know, what if we had everyone in their adults have 30 hour weeks, you know, and that was a lot or really made part time jobs available so people could come in and out when their mother gets sick. They could and they didn't really lose everything the way it is now. It's uh, sometimes they lose their job. Sometimes they. Uh, so if we gave more leisure to adults and everybody should get more learning uh the adults need you know we've learned that that we, there are options for learning but we don't make it easy you know that if you learn and you have a job like there's a woman i hear that uh is a young woman who's uh, an adult but to, for her to get her mba 
she has to add it on top. They don't really make it, uh, they don't give you the time off. So that, and then we get to the uh, elders who I'm interested in. I Some people hate that word. I'm all right with it, but people here may be groaning and saying, don't, please don't use that word. But the people in the, their 70s and 80s, we need some leisure, but I think nobody really can enjoy being playing golf for 40 years and they, they need more purpose. This is why you mentioned I'm really uh, interested in helping people find a purpose that's uh, to way to contribute to society. But they need also to go on learning. There's some retirement communities now that want people to take courses. And so that if we portion out uh, these three things, learning, work and leisure, and I do think I worked, as I said, till I was um, 87. Yeah. Uh, and I worked, of course, psychotherapy was the perfect uh, profession because I could cut down my uh, my caseload. I, as I got a little bit less energy, I could just making it smaller and smaller. And so I could make a graceful exit. Um, and uh, but not, not a, you know, we aren't organized to make it easy for people to have part time jobs, although more people in their 80s are working in the 70s. Uh, and I think it's good. And but if the jobs were organized to be uh, you know, flexible and part time, it would be even better, you know. So that's my so my vision is that we really take seriously this uh, idea of l trying to meet the needs of elders, the real needs, and there's we all I think hanker after doing con contributing, and I think that people to feel good that when people do work in a soup kitchen one day a week, or there are always people in hospitals that are pushing the wheelchairs, and that. It, it, this gives their life the zest that they need, but again, it's they have to kind of do it on their own, mostly finding. Yeah. And most of it is volunteerism, right? And so yes, and and we should be pay could be paying people if they realize it. Sometimes those stores, like you know, uh, the old department stores, would hire older women. You know, it was a, one place they could. You, if you remember the, uh, you could go into something like Macy's or Lord and Taylor. Right. There'd be that the only place you'd see people in their seventies and eighties really employed. So that's my vision, I, and I really think that the key thing that where I'm starting with is the whole idea of uh, helping people find purpose, uh, because that is something that I think uh, that people do yearn for that, and there's not much help out in the society for this. Have you thought through how younger people can play a role? in this now how well that's so interesting on my most recent blog which I, if you look at it it's i interviewed my five older grandchildren who were millennials and i had asked them what did they think of us and what did we think of uh, what mm -hmm. did uh, they th think we thought of them and then but then they, what I didn't answer, so you're you're asking me a question i what i did answer was how we the older generation can help the youngers because I found I call that piece treading water uh, because they're not that there's a lot of uh, in that age group 26 to 40 they they feel they are not hitting the uh, milestones of getting married and getting buying a house is and they're not really they feel like we are we olders our elders are looking down our noses at them and saying mm -hmm. so. So I wrote about that. Now I, I got to think about the other thing because uh, I haven't uh, really. Uh, but of course, I think there's so much uh, 
possibility in relationships. And I do think one of the things I think if is being close, if you're uh, lucky enough to have grandchildren, if you're not lucky enough to finding uh, other people's children that are you know relating to younger generation in some way is invigorating and brings wisdom to both sides, you know. Uh, so it's a really important thing, again, that we can foster to make lives uh, enriched. Yes, yes. Catherine, do you have any other questions for Catherine? Well, I, I just was, um, I was really fascinated with that you, you know, basically you found, I think this contributes to people's sense of happiness is they're not, they don't spend a lot of time dwelling on the, the past or the regrets. Um, yeah. So that, that spoke to me. And the women, I think, especially said, do the inner work of transition. They really do that deeper inner work. Maybe men do too, but I think you kind of singled out the women. And, um, and then you, you identified five themes that you said really matter to people in their 80s. Okay. You want me to tell you what they are? Yeah, tell me what they are. <laughs> <laughs> um, that, uh, let me see. Hold on, hold on. Oh, okay. The importance of family. Yeah. Following your dreams, yeah. serving others, living yeah. in the present, yeah. and remembering that relationships matter. Yeah, those are the themes that I really think, you know, we found out, and thank you for reminding me. <laughs> but in uh, we've seen in the pandemic how important you making keeping connections with other people and you that's why i worry about people in in their houses if they're you know in the country and they don't see anybody it, it's not good for our health we've learned that people die they've got now you know when you're isolated people are unhappy and uh, we do have to make the effort to connect yeah but living in the present is interesting because it's something that most of us didn't think about when we were uh, younger uh, and I am very much uh, enamored with how important that is. And, you know, the kind of the sense of me learning meditations as a way to get you to not be always thinking about looking before and after. And I found that out from my people that I interviewed because they didn't have regrets. I asked everyone, what are your regrets? And I couldn't believe it at the beginning. They said, well, you know, I used to have fresh regrets, but now I'm in my 80s, I've kind of made my peace with my dad who was like a absent and I've uh, kind of made, uh, you know, the things that didn't go right. I, you know, I used to think, well, I should have gone to a different college or something, but people kind of make their peace with their life and uh, are able. And I noticed this too, at my retirement community, people, we come from, we're not old friends and we're from new people, but nobody says, well, tell tell me about like what you were saying, my life story. People don't, we really, they talk about the, the chairs on the balcony, you know, and the uh, terrace, you know, are better than the old ones and, they, the, and what's going on in Ukraine. You know, we are living in the present. Mm -hmm. And I also see that older people don't uh, make plans like for, Five years from now, I'll take a trip to, uh, you know, uh, Yucatan. They limit themselves. And, and of course, the life expectancy is one of the uh, things that people don't understand that um, most people, we did look during the COVID, we think the life expectancy in this in the country went down from like 79 to 78. But 
uh, women, when you get to be 80, uh, the average woman has nine more years. And every year you live, it gets uh, goes gets bigger so that I'm 87 and my life expectancy is six years now. It's not, it's not that I'm on my last year because I'm almost close to nine, but so I, I so that um, we have this uh, a good long life uh, to do things with. And uh, we can, we really, uh, I think happiness lies in not looking before and after, but to leave, you know, that's a cliche now, live each day as they come, but it, it, it has wisdom in it. Yeah. Excellent. Thank you so much, Catherine. Dr. Catherine Esty, we really do appreciate your sharing your wisdom with us and uh, wish you good luck with your book, your new book, and we'll have to revisit this at some time. I would love that. And just, uh, you know, I, uh, if uh, it's interesting, the book's going to come out in paperback. If some people are having trouble, it's kind of uh, difficult to find, right? You, there are only a few copies on Amazon, right? But it, it is, uh, you know, going to be in a paperback. And so anyway, I appreciated this. This was a good, uh, interesting conversation. And I'll have to go. I don't know where I wrote that about those five themes, but I'll have to. <laughs> Page 165. <laughs> <laughs> So. Or 156. <laughs> yes. okay. Thank well, you so much. This is just really, really important work. Yes, it is. Thank you for having me. I, I mean, I was pleased to be here. Really. <laughs> Thank you, Catherine. Okay.